I apologize for my appearance. I don't ever like to do that. I just caught me off guard. We just finished practice. Um, Tennessee has the fifth best defense in the country. They are really, really good. Have great players. Great depth. Can beat you from the perimeter and inside. Run really, really good offense, particularly on the weak side. That keep you stressed. They're shooting 27 threes a game. A lot of that is catch-shoot shots when you screw up the actions that they run offensively. And then they're excellent on the glass. Not quite as fast as South Carolina or Arkansas or Kentucky, but, but in that range, particularly when they play both point guards at the same time. We'll have to be our absolute best. We're going to have to defend a lot better than we did in the second half. We'll have to finish the possession with the rebound at a much higher clip uh, than we did on Saturday. Russian. Is there a common theme these last four games that you looked at? Defensively, we've just decayed a little bit. Um, Saturday in the second half, um, we were not quick out of our rotations. We gave up way too many uncontested threes, and then we just got beat on the glass. Um, 38% of the time they got it that they missed, they got a second chance. We need to guard the ball better, try to keep it on a side, way too many middle drives, and that breaks down our defense. Um, I think that's what was hurting us the most, giving them uncontested shots and then not finishing the possession on the glass. When the ball doesn't go in the basket, it makes it a little bit difficult too, doesn't it? Well, that was, um, I think that's, you could argue that the first 30-ish minutes we played well. And then when we couldn't score over and over, the offensive sensitivity caused our defense not to be as sharp. And what we need, and um, it's what we did the first two weeks well, we need our defense to help start slash fuel our offense creating live ball turnovers defensively, finishing the possession with the rebound. Those are the ways that our defense can help our offense. We don't need, well, if I make a shot offensively, then we'll do good defensively. We need it to be the other way. We see how painstaking you are, <coughs> painstaking you are in your recruiting process. Yep. Writing guys' letters, they tell us about it. Thanks. What is it like to, to recruit here? Is it any different than the other places, or what is your approach and, and your approach moving forward? Um, yeah, good question. I, I, I want to answer that the right way. The, the one thing that I would say, Brent, that's been different, and every coach would say this regardless of where they're at, it was the longest stretch of my career. It was, uh, it was a little over 18 months that you couldn't go on the road recruiting. So I think 
I guess I've been here 30 something months and more than half of it, I couldn't leave campus because of the pandemic. And I, I think Henry's pretty good. I think Marcus is pretty good. I, I like who we signed, but upon arrival, I didn't have the typical relationship because I never got to see him. And so I would answer that question based off year one. And then since we've been able to go out on the road the last six or seven months, um, a lot of good players in the state. I think playing in this league continues to gain traction. Um, obviously, I think our staff has great relationships in this part of the country. I don't know that uh, it's been any different. I think the commitment level to our players off the floor, on the floor, the facilities, uh, where they live, how they eat, how we travel, uh, the exposure that the league gets. We're, maybe there's going to be four games that we play this year that are not nationally televised. Um, all good stuff. And the portal, is that something you plan to use more and more moving forward? Yeah, I, I don't know the answer on that. I think, um, I think some of this is in the – my first 27 years as a college coach, as you were constructing a roster, you were trying to build depth. You were trying to build uh, positions. And now it may not sound right, but your stability can come from the portal because once they're here, they've already transferred once. And so it's flipped. And so uh, I don't know if I've said it to this group, when we knew the rule was going to be in place for the first year now, I thought it would be best if of the group of kids that went in the portal, can we get the best players we can get that fit what we need, but also that are young? Because then as time goes, there's stability in your roster from the portal guys over an extended period of time because they were young. Marcus was a COVID freshman transfer. Uh, Henry was a COVID freshman transfer. Like those are guys that on paper are COVID freshmen, but they're in their second year of college. It doesn't mean that it's going to work out that way. But over time, if those portal guys are young, now you can build with those guys. But I also think that there's got to be a balance of portal slash this is the right fit for us as a person, as a player. I feel comfortable with the relationship of that particular student, his, pro his parents, his sphere of influence that they'll grow within our program. But I think every situation is a little different. It just opened up another avenue of are you going to be certain coaches who only sign kids from the portal are you going to be certain coaches that only want to sign high school kids? I don't think data suggests one or the other is right. I think for now I have peace that it's probably a balance between the two until we begin to have some stability in our roster. Very unstable roster to close down last year. Multiple portal guys coming along with some high school kids that had already committed. And then – the same thing with uh, Eric Pratt, the junior college kid. 
he got an extra year. So that was one of my thoughts going into this year. Any kid that was in junior college last year, he got an extra year of eligibility just like every other Division I student. So Eric will have three years of eligibility. Uh, Solomon Washington, I think, is a really good player. He's a high school player. How many will we sign in the portal? It probably depends on how many scholarships we have available once we get to that point. When did you first in your career, did you first start seeing the value in tracking ATOs? And what is the value that you that y'all can take from that? Mm. I'm fairly certain, Travis, that I've done it my entire head coaching career, except at UNO. Um, the whiteboard stats started at UNO. And the reason it was called the whiteboard stats was that was the only learning tool we had was a dry erase marker board. And then I just kept it. Um, it started when, um, when I was hired at Marquette, I shouldn't have got the job. I had been in Milwaukee for six and a half months. I didn't know kind of to Brent's question, like I didn't know anybody in the Midwest. I didn't know anybody on the East Coast. And then uh, the Travis for Marquette, when I got the job, the next day uh, he wrote, who in the hell is Buzz? That was the title of the article. And um, I had to hire a staff. And so as I began to hire non-coaching positions, I started giving them specific categories that I wanted them to study. And one of the categories that one of uh, my ops guys studied was how many possessions in a game were advantage, disadvantage. And in the year that I was an assistant in the Big East, it was 19% of the possessions were not a play call. Somebody had an advantage, somebody had a disadvantage. And I was like, well, if that's 20% of the game, what are we doing the other 80%? And it just kind of led to that. And so now, that's not how we did it initially. A lot of coaches track the ATO, but what they're saying is, is uh, jump ball, and at the under 16 meter timeout, what's the score? It's nine to seven. Okay, we won. And then it's zero zero coming out of that timeout until the under 12. That's how we initially started it, and then I stopped it because I began to think it was too much for our guys, and here's why. All I want our guys to know coming out of a pause is this. Whether they have it or we have it, we're just playing down back because that's how we practice. Down back, that's it. What's the score? And so that's the way we do it now on the whiteboard stats, and then we just add that up throughout the game. And I may have mentioned this to you 16, 12, 8, 4, jump ball, first play of the second half, 16, 12, 8, 4. There's 10 times both ways that you know it's coming out of a pause. Each coach has four. Not necessarily is everybody going to use it. But if both coaches use their timeouts, that's 18 times coming out of a pause. As you get into February, you're going to play high 60 possession games average it's a third of the game 
it's a third of the game. And so I think it's a way for our guys to track it. And the longer they play for us, the more they pick up on, you know, we, we have to get a stop and a score right here because we win this possession. The last four games, we've lost all of the ATOs, just the down bat. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a small number. We lost by three. We lost by four. Um, I think we lost by five. And then we do the same things on out of bounds. Out of bounds, their ball, out of bounds, our ball. And then sometimes those are one in the same. And so it ends up being close to 25% of the game, just that score. What's the key to closing games out on the road? Can you get a stop and a rebound? And then can you get a shot on the other end? And where our problem has been the last two road games for sure, we've been fouling too much. And we haven't been finishing the possession with the rebound enough. I guard you. Your team shoots it. I got the ball. If it's the last four minutes of the game, both teams are in the bonus. We can't foul because that's not a stop. We can't give them an offensive rebound because that's not a rebound. And then on the other end, we can't have a turnover. We need a shot. And we're probably in the bonus. And we would prefer the clock to stop and get two free throws. And I think you could say that about any team, not necessarily ours, but I think mathematically that's what you have to do. How's your team handled these last four games? How, how do you like where they are mentally? After Kentucky, they were great. After at Arkansas, they were great. After at LSU, disappointed. After the second half of South Carolina, down. Um, we make one three against Kentucky, and I think we lose by six. Uh, we start the game at Arkansas 20-4 to four and lose by three in overtime. We're up five with uh, the last ATO of the second half, up three with 101-111 in the second half. Lose. The score is not indicative of the game because we were fouling at the end. I think of the 16 halves that we played in January, slow start at Missouri. That was eight minutes and 53 seconds. Slow start at Arkansas. I don't know the time, but it was 20 to four. But the second half against South Carolina, we didn't have the stuff that we're built on. And that was the largest point spread of the year. And it was, didn't make a shot. That's right. But our defense was also not putting us in a position to fuel our offense. And our guys knew that. In defense of those guys, regardless of their inexperience, if you beat Kentucky, you're 16 and two. If you beat uh, Arkansas, you're 17 and two. Not being a jerk at all, I understood the question. Brent asked me after going into Kentucky, Hey, what about receiving some votes? If we beat Kentucky, I understand that's if. If we beat Arkansas, I would say that we're ranked. I'm not saying we pay attention to that. If you win at LSU, I think when we played LSU, they were 12th. I think when we played Kentucky, they were 11th. But that's how invisible the line is in closing a game out and making a shot 
in finishing the possession with the rebound and not fouling. We're fouling too much and giving too many points away when the clock's not running. But that's how thin the line is. That you're 15 and two. Yep. Now you're 15 and six, and you're going to play the number five defense in the country, and they'll have a sold out crowd in an incredible place. And they're five and three, and we're four and four. And that's how that's how thin the line is. We were four and three playing at home after a very difficult three game stretch. Have a chance to go five and three. South Carolina to go three and five. We lose four and four, four and four. Win tomorrow, you're five and four. Tennessee's five and four. That's just every week there begins to be separation. And uh, as a coach, you can talk about as much coaching cliches as you want. Or if I need to talk to the fans, I, I know how to have that language as well. But it is a thin line. Thanks, Coach. Yep.